Hi, I'm Dougal Cullen from Portland, Oregon, and today Michael and Renato talk with Marty O'Donnell. Welcome to Globally Speaking, your program that explores everything and anything to do with language localization. Are you ready to dive into the most critical issues impacting global brands today? Globally Speaking is designed to educate, inform, and challenge everyone who's engaged in global communications. Your hosts for Globally Speaking are Renato Beninato and Michael Stevens. Learn more by visiting our website at www.globallyspeakingradio.com. And now, here are Renato and Michael. This is Renato Beninato. This is Dougal Cullen. And this is Michael Stevens from Globally Speaking. And you may have noticed we have a guest with us today. With more than 6 million copies sold in 2017, Halo became the second best-selling game on the Xbox. The only one that is sold more than that was Halo 2, which was its sequel. But Renato, I wasn't talking about actually the guest we interviewed. I'm talking about the guest who's helping us on our introduction here, Dougal Cullen. Dougal, why did we invite you to this introduction? Probably because when Michael first told me he was friends with Marty O'Donnell, I flipped out and was like, oh my God, like that guy's amazing. He did the Flintstones theme song. And then after that, he made all these awesome songs for video games that I love. So why, Dougal, if you don't mind, why do you think it's important for Michael and I to talk to Marty? Well, I think sound design is, and the theme songs are really important within video games. And I, and I pretty sure that the localization is, is much more complex than just translating the words. I think the voice talents and music is also important. Right. And one note is that on May 4th, 2007, Halo was inducted into the World Video Game Hall of Fame. There were 6 million copies sold by 2017. It became the second best game on Xbox and it only trails its sequel, Halo 2, in overall sales for Xbox. People have called this game the Star Wars of video games. So these are the reasons we're talking to Marty. We hope you guys will enjoy it. No, let's tell the truth. We're only talking to him because he's our friend. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> we, do like our, we do like our friends. Let's go into our conversation with Marty O'Donnell. My name is Marty O'Donnell. I am an audio director and composer. People know me because I've done TV commercials like We Are Flintstones Kids. We are Flintstones Kids, 10 million strong and growing. And I also did the Halo score and the Destiny score. Halo. Uh, everybody knows that if you played Halo. My God. So you just did two things that I have absolutely no capacity of doing. Remembering a jingle, and you composed it. And unfortunately, uh, a lot of our audience is outside of the United States. They don't even know what Flintstones vitamins are. But the Americans will recognize that. But Halo, man, that's amazing. 
Yeah, well, some okay. So if there's a, outside the United States, they probably still get this, Mister Clean, Mister Clean. Mister Clean is the man behind the shine. Is it wet or is it dry? So I did that, and I've seen Mister Clean in Italy, so I know he exists. Mister Clean arranca mugre y gasa en solo un minuto. Mister Clean limpia tu casa por cualquier cuarto que pasa. Very good. So <laughs> the jingles. Music travels, and that's one yes. of the amazing things of the business of of international business is that there is very little requirement for localization of music because music is the ultimate universal language. But have you ever faced any experiences where you had to localize music? No, you know that's interesting. No one's ever asked me to localize music. Thankfully, there's been a few times when I've done some music that has lyrics in it, but we were able to just let it pass the way it was. Sometimes uh, I did, uh, on Destiny, I had some music with a choral part that was singing in Latin, and Latin is sort of universal to everybody, so it's no big deal. But no, music is the thing that really, truly is the universal language. And I found that out even, like I said, I was in Italy just recently, like a few months ago, and I was actually really surprised at the fans in Italy and how well they knew the music and how much more emotionally connected they seem to be than I'm used to. In the States, I have some you know, fans who will talk about their connection to the music. But the Italian fans were like really vociferous and, and demonstrative with how, how much the emotional part of the music meant to them. You remember that story recently with that band that they did a thousand people in, in Italy playing live just to have they brought a thousand people together they put huh. a bunch of drums and singers and guitars and they played and they invited ah uh, what is the the band go ahead and sing the song Renato that well I, uh, that's I don't have the talent to sing uh, I try, uh, oh it's beautiful it's beautiful they wanted these guys to go to a town in Tuscany, and they created a movement. I have Tears for Fears, but it's not Tears for Fears. It's like rock brand. It's not Coldplay. No. <laughs> no. It's a real band. Okay. It's not well, Hot Silly Peppers. It's, it's a guy with a beard, long hair. Uh, Definitely ZZ Top. No. <laughs> Damn. I, I hate when this happens, when we're recording and I want to remember something. Look it up on Google. Is it what was it an American band or was it Yeah, a, yeah, it's an American band. Sing their song. Just sing Maybe it. from the eight. No, I can't remember the sang, <laughs> the song. I remember the the I the just chorus, wanted to get you recorded I, singing. Yeah. <laughs> Were the thousand people all playing instruments and singing? Yes. As, yes. Well, yes. Yeah. Very good. Uh, Foo Fighters. And what is this? Foo Fighters. Exactly. Foo Fighters. I, yes. I typed in, I Googled Italy a thousand musicians, and it's the yes. very first result. What's the song? The name of the song? Learn to Fly. Learn to Fly. So beautiful. And then I I didn't know the song, the original song. I did, but I didn't. And then I saw this performance online for maybe 20 times because it's so good. And then I saw them playing live and it's not as good as the thousand (laughs) That's, yeah, Dave Grohl, he's really amazing. He does a lot of experimentation. Of course, he was in uh, Nirvana. And believe it or not, I sat right behind him at a Paul McCartney concert a couple years ago because I I worked with Paul 
on Music for Destiny, and we became good friends. Well, at least I thought we became good friends. <laughs> but so anyway, we were sitting at the concert, and we had really great seats. And right in front of us was Dave Grohl and the other guys who were former Nirvana guys. And sure enough, during the encore, those guys left, and the next thing I saw, they were on stage playing oh, with Paul. So. That's very cool. That's very yeah. cool. But the other thing, and one of the things that I remember in the early 80s, there was this festival in Brazil called Rock in Rio. It was a huge festival. Uh, it was like two weeks, live shows in five stages at the same time. It's a huge event. And Queen came over, and they mm-hmm. sang Love of My Life. And they said that they've never seen an audience that was so engaged, they thought they were going to have a hard time because people didn't speak English and they everybody was singing, everybody was participating. And it's an international phenomenon, really. People learn the lyrics when... I, I learned the lyrics of some Indian music. I have no idea of what I'm singing, but I love the song. Absolutely. Well, and, and music a lot of times is, learned, is used in language learning. A lot of my Hebrew that I learned was through singing songs and... It, because the brain is engaged and you're memorizing things much more easily. So, Well, it's funny. I, you know, I, was, I was watching this show called Border Town, and it's all in Finnish, and you're reading the subtitles, and it's, it's a fun show to watch. But they're right on the border. They're not, supposedly, they're not far from Russia, and there are characters that are Russian. And when they actually have a scene together, they speak English, and the subtitles go away. And I thought that's interesting because it's a Finnish production, so that must be the way it is over there. When the you know the Finns are talking to each other, they're speaking Finnish, and then the Russians speak Russian. But if they speak to each other, they speak in English, and they even shoot their TV show that way. So they're assuming apparently that their audience is going to not have a problem with it, unless they subtitle that. Maybe they do. I don't know. Well, let's let's bring that a little bit to to your experience with music sure. and games, and so I imagine you get a briefing, and somebody says, oh, "This is going to be the game." How how do you compose the music for a game that is going to be played in multiple places? Well, first of all, I don't actually care that it's being played in multiple places because all I'm worried about is what's the story of the game, what are the characters, where's the tension, where's the climaxes you know what's scary what's heroic i'm thinking about universal emotions so i'm trying to write music that just scores the universal emotions that are going to come through the story of the game or the way what happens when the player plays the game you know you can make people feel like like something awesome is happening you can make people feel heroic you can make people feel sad there's poignant you can give people sort of a sense of action and adventure and movement. And of course, then there's creepy and spooky and scary and all sorts of other stuff. It's big emotions. And sometimes you can use those emotions and juxtapose them against other things that are happening dramatically. And that works really well, sort of like as a subtext to a conversation that might be really kind of like a somewhat boring conversation but you score it with some creepy, spooky stuff, and it changes the feel of that scene entirely. So, yeah, it's, it's, that's what I'm really going for. And basically, I think those are universal emotions. So how, how long is the score for a game? It depends, but there's a lot of music in, in some of these what we call AAA titles. The so AAA mm-hmm. game can have three, maybe four hours of, of music that's all original. 
because the games sometimes, and I think some games even have more, although I don't know how worthwhile it is to listen to all that music, like all by itself. Cause it's sometimes not very interesting. What's it got? So it's to- like, it's like you're, you're actually creating four or five albums for. Yes. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And that's because some of these games take the player can spend 40, 50 hours playing the game. And more. I mean, some of these, some some games, people are playing them for hundreds of hours. Now, I don't think the music necessarily holds up all that great for that long, and they're they're doing other things with the game, like multiplayer and some other things. But some of the games have story elements that can take you know twelve to twenty hours to get through, and you need to be able to tell that story without being too repetitive musically. Now, Marty, you do the, the music piece of it, but you're involved with a lot more of the game as well. And with these games going international, did you work with international talent for voiceovering and characters and things like that? What, ex- what exposure, what lessons did you learn there? Well, when we started working on Halo and the whole Halo series that we did when we were with Microsoft, that was like a 10-year period. And they had a lot of experience, of course, with localization. So I learned you know, right away, it's like, okay, we got to talk about figs. I'm like, figs? Like the fruit? Like, what are you talking about? Mm, yummy. So apparently that stands for French, Italian, German, Spanish. So first you had to like, you knew that like everything you did was going to be translated into those languages and then Asian languages. And then we started having South American Spanish, which is different than Spain Spanish. No, maybe it's yes. Mexico Spanish. You're correct. Yep. Yeah. So I, there were different flavors of Spanish that we got into i think by the end i know the halo games are translated into i don't know is it 12 or 14 or more i don't know it's a lot yeah so i'm concerned about casting the right characters for the script for america north america what usually happens is we're first the north american we cast and we start recording and then it's a matter of working with the localization people to find similar voices that can do the same kind of characters and it's been interesting because we've had a few celebrity types that are you know hollywood type celebrities and then in other countries they say hey we want to get some of our local celebrities to do the same parts so i might not be aware of who those people are but the the people in italy or france or germany are getting their own celebrities to cover some of the same parts so usually there was a point where I would listen to some of the performances by the localized stuff, and I knew what they were saying in English, and it seemed like the emotions seemed right. But, of course, I don't know anything else. So I, I really trust the directors who are directing the localized productions. I, I trust their judgment on all that stuff. Yeah. One of the things that we're seeing here today, are you still involved with this process, Marty, or is this something that you're you're not that much working on no i'm still involved in games i actually am working i have my own company it's a smaller company now and we're working on a new thing for for playstation it's the playstation vr so it's a new technology tell us about that well playstation vr is is a blast i mean all vr is amazing right now you put the the headset on and you're actually in a new world. You look around and you hear things all around you. It's, it's really, really interesting. As a matter of fact, I'm 
today I was working on the dialogue. Of course, I'm still working in, in the, on the English. But what's fun is that you, as you as you sit in this world, this virtual world, you hear somebody talking over to your right, and then you turn to look at them, and there they are, and now they're in front of you because you turned. And as they walk around and they walk behind you, they're talking, and you can hear them talk behind your head, and then you turn around and look at them. And it's just very, very different because instead of being a passive audience looking at a flat 2D screen and seeing a conversation on the screen or even playing a first-person game that's still flat on a screen in front of you, with VR, you're actually inside the scene and the characters are right there. Like, and so I have this scene today where the protagonist girl sits down next to me and then she says something very softly and I, I, you can't help but look at her. And there she is looking right at you, like a foot away from you, talking to you. And it's really kind of amazing. So it, it's a new experience for people, and we'll see how, how it works. Well, we are curious at, at how yeah. this affects localization, because earlier this year we did a, well, late last year, we did a podcast with the forecast of trends in the industry and yeah. things that we're going to see more and more in 2017. And one of the things is this new format of AR and VR, Right. Augmented reality and, right. and virtual reality. And I wonder, my expectation is that there's going to be an increase in complexity, but I don't know how that would affect the translation and localization of those files. Yeah, well, you know, I think as the technology gets better, one of the things you want to see, and, and this is starting to improve with the way you can... I'm sure you guys have worked hard on lip sync issues and making the characters' mouths actually move for the language that they're speaking. But in VR, I think, you know, because you can be so close and intimate with a character, you're looking right at them as they're talking to you and there's, there can be eye contact. And it's like, I, I don't know exactly. We haven't solved the issue of how this is going to be localized. And well, by the way, know, the, like the, how, the well, issue of lip syncing, it's very, very hard for dubbing in, in movies. But when you're dealing with animation, there is software that adapts the mouth right. movement to right. the actual dialogue. So yeah. when somebody speaks, the mouth will, be, will open in the way that it would look natural. Uh, but that's very hard with uh, live action. But with right. animation, that's not that hard. Right. Well, we did, you know, performance capture. So we had our American actors with, you know, dots on their face and the whole thing. So we're getting their, their facial muscles and their expressions and everything. And then they, we also know what phonemes, how they do certain things. And we know that the animation is tr tracking that. But as soon as we switch over to another language, there's other software. But I, I just feel like that's, that's all going to get better and better because it's already so much better than it used to be. Gee, we made Halo, when we made Halo 1, even the American actors, characters in the game, the animation, we called it Flappy Jaw. And Flappy Jaw was just, <laughs> was like, it just read the amplitude of the sound file and just the louder it was, the bigger their mouth opened. <laughs> and that's, that's what Halo 1 was. So it's really gotten a lot different since then. Yeah. I recently heard on the Freakonomics podcast that special effects companies were moving outside of Los Angeles and Hollywood and even outside the U.S. Marty, have you seen this as a trend in gaming as well? 
Absolutely. The fact that you don't all have to be in the same studio at the same time is really amazing. Of course, there's advantages and disadvantages, but the technology just to have a distributed network of people all working together and sharing assets and having just instant communication, instant sharing of just massive quantities of data and content makes it so you not only can I work from home, but even when I'm working from home, in my own studio, I almost feel like I'm working with the guys there because I can, that who are downtown. So it doesn't matter if you're in Seattle or if you're in Arizona or you're in who knows where. If you have a decent connection and you can upload and download quickly, you can just about do anything. The thing you lose is the sort of synergy of a team working together. And some there are stuff that happens face-to-face that doesn't happen in a virtual space. But we're still stretching those boundaries. So Marty, for someone listening to our podcast who is interested in gaming and maybe they have a language background, maybe they're not even from the U.S., what would you suggest they look into? What do they study? What What's sort of a good place to get your foot in the door? Huh, well, I think it sort of depends like what their specialty is. If they are, If they enjoy computer science, they should be learning programming languages. If they're... They want to design games, then they should be, you know, learning. I don't even know what for game design. It's <laughs> an amazing, like the game designer I like the most that I'm working with right now is is a double. He was a double major in college, physics and philosophy. Yeah, I was thinking physics had to be in that mix on some yeah, level. So yeah, I, I kind of, I've always believed that you know physics and philosophy is the perfect double major for a game designer. <laughs> but you know, if they really enjoy playing games and they have uh, you know good language skills, that's actually a good way to start. Is to go to a game company, try to get into the test department, and start testing some of the foreign language. You know, if you if you speak French well and you you know you're a, you're a commodity here in Seattle. You can go to a game company and say, I'll be a tester on your French localized version mm-hmm. and you'll be very valuable. So that's a good way to get your foot in the door. Mm-hmm. And of course, if you're an artist, just be the best artist you can. If you're a musician, try to be the best musician you can and play a lot of games and make stuff with your friends. Right now, it's so easy for people to get game creation software make a game and actually get some good experience this podcast was produced by burns 360 you can subscribe to globally speaking on itunes or wherever you get your podcast see you next time thank you for listening to globally speaking brought to you by moravia We'd like to hear your comments, suggestions, and feedback. So until next time, please visit online at www.globallyspeakingradio.com.